All right, all right, all right. Ladies and gents, boys and girls, welcome back to another episode of Over the Bridge podcast. Uh, we don't have a full, um, we don't have the full squad on today. It's just myself and, and Kweku and with a special guest who we'll introduce in a, in a second. But Kweku, how are you? I'm good, bro. I'm good. Nice, easy Sunday. So I've just been chilling with the wife, you know, watching her girlfriends <laughs> on Netflix. Oh my gosh. Look at you, you. You married men. My God, man. Look at this. Life has bro, transformed. Sunday listen, and I'm yeah. so far watching. I'm <sighs> literally eating cookies and I'm watching girlfriends, bro. I can't lie. It's a good life. You got a cup of tea. You got a cup of tea. I had a cup of tea earlier and then I had the red bush just oh. now. Just to like help oh. settle it. <laughs> Bro, I'm I'm a I'm a kept man, it's mad. Very the love is sweet too. The love is the, this man, bloody hell. You Do you know what it is though? With lockdown as well, just by force, like you just have to you're forced to just have yeah, to like bond and, and, and chill and that. But no, I'm I'm good, bro. I'm really um it's been a good, good week and just yeah, prepping for the new week to start. How about yourself, yeah, man? How you doing? All good, man. I, I, as I said, I spent the day napping yesterday. I did a bit of work earlier today. And then I went, basically went to bed again. And I woke up a bit earlier on and I was like, oh, so I've just been sleeping all week. Uh, well, all weekend, that's just not all week. I hope I'm not all week, but sleeping all weekend. So I feel pretty good. Um, I've got a bit of work to do for this evening just to tie up a few loose ends before the start of next week. Uh, Bro, but graph could I don't have a, I don't have a spouse to keep me, you know, to, to ease, <laughs> ease that, you know, I've only got one sense of it's lockdown. You know what I mean? It's kind of like there's lockdown. I don't have a partner. So what else am I supposed to do apart from read books, do work? And it's not a sorry, a state of state of affairs, but it's like, mm, you mm. know, you're, you're married to a wonderful, wonderful, your wonderful wife. But I feel like I'm I'm married to the game. You get me? <laughs> <laughs> married to the game. Love that. Really? Love that. <laughs> married to the game. Married to the game. I hear that, man. But yeah, man, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how long, you know, the thing has changed. But anyway, maybe maybe we can discuss that a bit later on because <laughs> we have a very, very special guest who, <clears throat> excuse me, I've been trying to get on the podcast for a while. Um, you know, friend, um, you know, known him for a very, very long time. Entrepreneur, um, very bait guy in London, but not in a negative sense for all the right reasons he's bait. Um, and we can get into that a bit later on. Um, wonderful wife, a bit like a bit like what you have with Hannah Kweku. It's both like both of you just have wonderful spouses. Um, you know, this guy's come up with uh, business and businesses and just a, you know, a very special guest. His name is uh, Lex. You know my social media is Lex London. Uh, co-founder of Capital Moments, um, you know, kind of just a, an, an extraordinaire. I've always said that if you need to know someone in, you know, inclined to call first of all, because he might not know the person, but you're guaranteed that he's going to know someone who knows someone that can put you in touch. But I'm going to let him uh, introduce himself and, 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 you know, talk about his accolades. And uh, so Lex, over to you. No, no, I love for the introduction, bro. Um, very, very powerful words. I appreciate that. I feel like I'm stepping onto um, the Breakfast Club. You guys said special, special <laughs> guests like, t- 10 times. I'm like, oh, damn. <laughs> um, but yeah, great to be here. Name's Lex, um, or full name Lekondoin Salau. Obviously, known Tom for a while now. 
probably stretching back nearly 10 years. Um, obviously, we worked together on Capital Moments, which is a social enterprise powered to help the development uh, professionally and personally of young people. And we do this for a number of means. And we can get into that in more detail through this podcast. Uh, and separate to that, I'm a management consulting, um, working at one of the big four in the UK. We've experienced in uh, London, Paris, and New York. Um, so we can also get into that a bit later as well. But it's great to be on the podcast. Heard great things. Um, and you're doing powerful stuff. So, yeah, happy to be here. All right, man. Boy, um where do I even begin? Do you know, I think because I've known you for a while, it's sort of weird. Where do, I even, where do I even start? But let's just talk about, um, there's multiple directions we can go down, but let's just talk about your kind of professional journey, kind of school, uni, uh, working, working around the world. How does Capital Moments tie into that? Kind of a very, very long and slow elevator pitch, if you will. <laughs> no, no, for sure. Literally, um, I did one of these that was predominantly on my, career today as opposed to school but yeah I can do this for sure as well um so like like most Londoners right grew up in inner city London um crossing between north and east London um so born and bred in Islington and then transitioned over to Dagenham at a point in time to school in Islington and Dagenham and as well as Ilford also spent time in Nigeria so in year 10 you know those those years when your mom keeps threatening you if you keep up that bad behavior, you're gonna end <laughs> up. Auntie, I, was gonna, I was gonna ask. I was gonna ask because like there's gonna... that's not a that's a, a common experience for a lot of people, especially you know, that for age. Sure, like I think for me, yeah, definitely. Like so, when I was like 12, 13, my mom started to flirt with the idea of of going home. Mm. So my uncle got married. I think it was oh four, oh five. My uncle got married in Nigeria, and then the passion to live back home reignited in my mom. So my mum actually started like building business ventures back in Nigeria. So she started traveling there, I might say like two months at a time. Mm. Um, and then obviously I was staying with my sister and my auntie. But obviously when you have that freedom of not having mum around, you start to get a bit more confident in school. You start to be a lot more kind of boisterous, talking back to teachers. So I was always really, really smart. Mm. But that kind of breeds arrogance. When you do well in school and you feel like you don't need to study as hard as everyone else, you, you start using that free time. Um, to get up to other other activities so those other activities obviously started to spiral and my mom basically was like yeah the only ideal is for you to come live with me in Nigeria so like I think sparking between the summer between year nine and year 10 or just after that I ended up going to Nigeria for a year and a bit so I ended up actually doing my GCSEs in Nigeria so that was that was a massive experience and a big turning point in my life just in terms of um, really grounding me on like my culture because obviously um being a british british born nigerian you obviously are in touch with your culture somewhat but actually living breathing and schooling in the country of your kind of birthright really does teach you about the, the history mm. so i think that was a just great great lesson for me in just building the fundamentals that i still live with today so after like a year and a half um in nigeria i came back to, to london and went to Leighton sixth form um in east london did two years there A-levels, maths, chemistry, economics, and then transitioned to University of Birmingham. Um, So Birmingham was a great experience. Um, Actually started to meet people outside of the East North London bubble. And I found out there's a lot of South Londoners. So I was like, oh, wow, there's black people in South London. This is it, you know. I'm not going to lie. For for a long time. No, it's true, though. But Quaker is like, for for a long time, yeah. Because East East London's so big, yeah. Because it obviously starts from, like, I don't know how you want to define it. But just, I don't know, even from 
Like you can say from like Bethnal Green, if you're going from like the city, Bethnal Green, it goes out like, all the way out to like Dagdom. Or aren't they like, aren't, isn't East London like three boroughs? No, you know what it is. When from a postcode <laughs> perspective, you, you can say and that's true. So you can say, really, East London should be Hackney, Newham, and Wolverham Forest, right? Yeah. yeah. But then when you really get into like the history of East London, like Dagenham comes part of it, Barking and parts of Redbridge. And if you mm. really want to get extensive, you can start to include, as, as Tom mentioned, like parts of Havering. Yeah, man. The East London gets massive. And then when you get to like sixth form age and you're going to some of these sixth forms, people are coming from all pockets and mm. portions. So then you really start to know a lot of people, but also you think that's your whole world. So then I went to university it, and I was like, yo, people are telling me, oh yeah, I live, I'm from Fort and Heath. I'm like, what is Fort and Heath like? <laughs> or, I'm from Credit. I'm like, huh? Like, all these places have just become new. And then you actually realise, wow, there's probably more black people in South London than there are in East London. You're like, bloody yeah, big facts, big facts. 100%, man. yeah. So, so it was definitely a journey, like, going to university, just meeting more people. Um, and then, yeah, like, I had a kind of bumpy road just after university. Um, just before I went to uni, I did an internship um, at the Royal Bank of Canada. So, luckily, because I was from an inner city, London area, there's a there's a social enterprise or enterprise called the brokerage, city brokerage. Mm. And essentially they help um, young people that live in inner city boroughs. So any boroughs adjacent to the city of London, they help you essentially get onto internships at law firms, insurance firms, banks, um, professional service firms, et cetera, any kind of corporate firm in the city. After that experience, as you imagined, I, I, I became more humble after my, my time in Nigeria. But then after doing an internship before uni, you get this inflated ego, right? Thinking, yo, I'm the guy, basically, like, yo, I've already had a job. I've already worked before uni. Uni's going to be a doll, basically. Mm-hmm. So that kind of put me at disadvantage when I was applying to internships, applying to graduate schemes, et cetera. So when I actually got to my final year, there was only a limited number of options for me. So I ended up doing an internship at um, Goldman Sachs, but it was like, you're typically meant to do those internships after your second year as opposed to after your final year. So I did an internship at Goldman Again, I think that that confidence overtook me as well. So the, the internship was good, but it, it didn't go the way I wanted it to. So I ended up leaving the Goldman internship, working for a couple of years at um, Lloyd's in a kind of middle office function. And I realized this this is a good job, but it's not what I want to do long term. I want something that's more dynamic, more kind of change management focus, more consulting, speaking directly to clients and being able to travel with my work as well, rather than going to the same office every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I ended up applying to a graduate scheme at KPMG. Um, then, yeah, that was probably about five, six years ago now. And ever since then, I've been at KPMG and that's been a whole journey in itself. Mad. And, you know, it's interesting you mentioned the, the, the internship because, you know, anytime I've done any internships, those things have just beaten me up, you know, and and, and, and beating me down, like, you know, into size properly, you know, like any time, because you just deal with people and they, the ones I've done, I've always come across people that are much smarter, much more astute. Um, and they always just are able to, and not in a bad way, put me in my places in like kind of de- in a demeaning sense, but just in terms of market knowledge, just like, just put... And man, every time you just come out and you're like, wow, this is a different experience, man. So no, I definitely, I definitely can see where you're, where you're coming from. And then. No, hundred percent. I don't know if you, have you, have you guys peeked into this new um, series that's on BBC at the moment? I, well, I play it called Industry. Yeah. I just finished it. I basically binge watched, they released all the um, last four or five episodes Friday night. I binge watched them on Saturday. 
Um, so it just brings so much memories, right? Like you go into this this kind of world where you're, again, intellect, intelligence, you, you deem it from your studies at university. But when you get into the working world, there's all these kind of nuances, how you expect it to behave, mm-hmm. how you treat certain people. It brings back all these memories, right? And it's like, oh, wow, you're the small fish in the pond again. It's like when you, you know, when you go from year six to year seven, you're like, the big, <laughs> you're the big dog, you're the big dog in the school. And then you're like, yo, you come and everyone's bigger than you. Your backpack's small boy now. Yeah, yeah you're, you're a small boy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Man. What what I found really interesting about what you're saying as well is this kind of like uh, adaptation to this kind of new working culture, right? Because you come with this idea and you admitted it yourself. You're like very confident, maybe bordering arrogant at the time. Um, so when you say like the the humbling experience and Tom obviously touched on it as well. Is that from your peers or is that from like, you know, the, you know, maybe more senior people there? No, no, I, th- I think it was definitely from, from more senior people. So like mm. the Nigerian experience was, was kind of a humbling experience. And then talking about that, the internship. So like Nigeria was from peers. Cause like you're super intelligent in the UK. Obviously when you come from a, an African background, it's drilled into you to study, study, study. So you're just naturally, you feel like you've got an advantage. So school was, not easy but it came easier whereas in Nigeria the the way they study there it's less about application and it's more about knowledge Mm. um kind of absorption so you're just meant to you're expected to know a book inside out so I think adapting to that style of working was a big humbling experience that you're coming from being like a straight A A star student and you're getting like a B for the first time you're like huh Mm. I was confused (laughs) like it was a big humbling experience but then you just adapt to learning how to do work in their same way but like the internships was just probably fully just seniority levels, like understanding that hierarchy. Because when you're in a schooling system, you're meant to respect your teachers, which is obviously founded upon. But then when you go into work, it's weird because there's like these nuances of how you respect people. So like someone at your level, you obviously respect them, but they're not really going to tell you what to do. But then someone a level above you can tell you what to do. But then someone at a level above them can tell that person what to do. So it's kind of mm-hmm. like when you get into the corporate role, it's trying to, decipher and digest how you're meant to relate to people and also I think when you come from an educational system you get like explicit instructions this is the homework this is how you execute whereas when you get into the world of work it's very nuanced right people talking great but then as you grow up and you understand how to speak how to communicate a lot better you obviously grasp into that so I think that was more what I was pointing to that humbling experience in thinking doesn't matter how smart you are if you don't know how to communicate with people and understand mm-hmm. how they how they're telling you to do something etc then you're not going to do well well in this in this world mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I'll makes a lot of sense I, I remember it was just sorry quick I was just gonna say I remember being asked to do a task once to set up um I think I was I was I always did research so we didn't do like pitch decks like you saw kind of in the industry mm-hmm. or whatever but I had we had to do a pitch deck because some people were going to see a client the next day and I remember we were doing about um, capex, or like basically investments, if you will. And capex, obviously, in the cash flow statement, is a negative, but most people do it as a percentage of sales. Sales is obviously a positive number, or at least you hope it's a positive number. So you get a positive number. And I was supposed to do like these kind of charts, and I was like, "Why is this thing negative?" But I had never properly been able to think about what capex was and why it was a negative number. It's just negative because it's money that's spent by the company, but actually. Even when I do it now, it's actually a positive. You should just reverse, you should negative the CapEx number to make it positive and divide it by sales to give a proper picture. So I've done this pitch deck and sent it out the next morning. 
And he wasn't MD at the time. He came in MD shortly afterwards. He's an ED. And he said, hold on, why is this thing, this chart looking weird? Like, why is the CapEx thing going down? Like, this company's CapEx has gone up. And I'm like, it's like, have you done it this way? And it was that kind of thing that they just have a lot of knowledge. And I see this now, like, and Lex, you might see it as well. Like, when you work with slightly more junior people in your team that have never been able to apply anything before, mm. you can easily see. You and, can and see that. Yeah, yeah. But then it's, I think it's tough because obviously now, like, we're, we're getting more senior into our career. So you're managing people, you, you can spot these things, but a lot of it comes from osmosis, seeing other people do mm, obviously mm. just experience. But when you come in so junior, you feel like sometimes you want that shepherding hand to, mm. be able to tell you what to do. But when you don't get that, and you know, when you're coming from like, you've got, a, you've got a great degree, you've gone to a good university. You're like, yeah, I'm, I'm the bee's knees. I'm, a, I'm smart. And you, and you're getting told off for these small mistakes. You're like, damn, like how, how would I have not known that? But mm. a lot of these mm. things is mm. people have to tell you explicitly or, it's just in that particular structure or team you're in. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's interesting because that like, it, like you said, these are things that you kind of learn through osmosis and just, I guess, on the job, just um, working out how to communicate, understanding chain of commands, hierarchy, etc. Um, but the you're not very well trained on how to adapt to that in the school system, but then even. You know, for instance, just to give an example, I used to work at uh, a charity called Upreach. And essentially what we did was support undergrads from lower income backgrounds mm. into getting to careers in, you know, KPMG, Deloitte, McKinsey's and, and other institutions of the like. And we always kind of talked about employability skills, you know, doing mock interviews, um, how you can talk about your experiences and and um, kind of with more confidence and, and things around around that. A little bit about commercial awareness, but, you know, not too much. But one thing that I did note was that there's a lot we can do as far as getting people in the door, but then when they're there, it's kind of sink or swim in a lot of respects. And um, I don't know, you said you were part of the brokerage. Was that something that, have you come across anything that? I think, I think no, I think that was one of the, no, I think that was one of the rationale to even like develop capital moments because you're right in that sense. Like there's there's firms like the brokerage, like SEO London, that push as hard as they can to get you in the firm. And that's about sharpening the the skill set you currently have, practicing interview skills and techniques and um and your mannerisms within the interview. When you actually start a job, there's there's a big it's like another big um, step for you to take and that's where we try to help people and it was more so from that social mobility aspect so you can get in the mm. door you can be a great analyst you can be a great um, associate etc but one as you rise through the ranks of a firm you start to realize that everyone's good but there's nuance and there's you have to have some political new essentially to be able to transverse for a firm and that's not taught that is osmosis like knowing who to you know, when you get a task, for example, knowing who to do the work for, you might get two competing, competing asks essentially, but you're like, okay, I know if I do the work for him, he's going to help me next week because I've got this big meeting or he's going to be a great sponsor for when I want to get to this stage, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. But again, those, those things aren't necessarily taught because those are the difficult steps and stages you have to pass through to really move through the ranks to a firm. If you want to do the corporate angle right but even if you want to be an entrepreneur you need to know how to build relationships and network with people and make sure you're kind of ducks lying in a row where you can make that big sale or make that big connection who's going to invest in your idea etc etc 100% yeah That's... yeah man no I was going to say go on Kweku. no go on go on 
No, I was just going to say, so, I mean, obviously you, you've, you've mentioned it now. Um, let's talk about kind of the formation of, of, of capital moments in your no, eyes. And no, yeah. Yeah, no, great question. Like capital moments, um, been going for a while now, but it kicked off somewhere in 2014. So after that moment experience, um, I'd obviously met Josh, who's one of the other co-founders on the team, and, and Demi, one of the other co-founders, he's always been a family friend, so we went to like the same primary school. Um, so essentially what happened, I'd, I'd always been interested in economics, obviously studying it at A-level at university. So I started like a mini blog called Economics at the time, to just detail and document ongoing stories that are happening in the media through the lens of a young man that's just graduated, right? Josh um, had a very similar blog, but more focused on personal development. So how do you write a CV? How do you interview, et cetera? Then the kind of mutual friend of ours, Demi, um, he was inspired by mine and Josh's blogs and he kicked off his own blog, just talking about investing um, more natively, like how to pick stocks. So he did like a, a stockbroker's internship or placement of some sort. And then obviously Tom's, I've always known Tom, um, I think just through the university circuit scene, but then obviously a couple moments brought us more closely. So he obviously knew Josh and Demi partially from KICC, which is, again, <laughs> that's another story. <laughs> um, <laughs> For those who don't know, KICC is is a huge, it's a huge church. Yeah. And I when I used to go um, uh, church or went to church regularly, that was where I spent a lot of my, my time attending and it's just again it's a bait church like for especially <laughs> people that are age that were a bit younger it's like how do you know something yeah church church it's just a bait church in it and 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 you know it yeah that's that's it really so <laughs> no for sure so then through all of our connections essentially josh was like oh why don't we all come together and start a collective to focus on kind of promoting commercial awareness news, talking about it on, on panels or on YouTube and like explaining it in simple format for young people to digest um, more easily. And it was like, yeah, great idea. I came up with a name, couple of moments, and then we were kind of like moving from there. But then obviously, you know, as any kind of idea starts, it always evolves into a different type of beast. So our initial plan was actually funny enough to be on YouTube, like talking about different topics week to week. We, we kind of sought out a videographer, sought out presenters to help us with it. Um, but then we really realized that the attraction in the brand was online and through doing events. So we started to kind of um, share simple, digestible tweets online about what's happening in the news, be it on personal finance, be it on housing, property, be it on the economy, et cetera. And that really started to mobilize a following um, and then through that following, we were able to do events. Um, so we've collaborated with Barclays, um, TFL, Bloomberg, and other companies um, talking about kind of personal finance topics. Mm -hmm. So we've had sessions which focus on how do you get on a property ladder? How do you buy your first property? Other events on how do you kind of just better improve your budgeting and money management with um, kind of other companies like Cedars doing panel discussions, et cetera. So it kind of started off as a, as a native idea to do these YouTube panel events of us just talking about economics, finance and the world around us. And then through just the mobilization of social media, we we're able to kind of move into different areas. But essentially what it is till this day is a platform and a social enterprise that seeks to improve the development of young people, be it personally or professionally. Um, and like at Crux is to ensure social mobility continues um, for young, the younger generation. 
I love that, man. Like, because, um, like I said, there, there is such a huge gap um, in that that this specific kind of like knowledge and and training in a sense, um, and it is, um, yeah, I think there's there's not it's not kind of spoken um, enough about, particularly when we think about social mobility and the, the I guess there's there's so there's kind of like soft skills gap, but then there's also um, other elements that are kind of like the unknowns. Um, so there's like known unknowns and then it's like just you don't know what you don't know and that's what's going to kind of like um, that can be a setback in in many ways um, but yeah I guess with Capital Moments as well I mean uh, the way I was initially I initially came across it was through the tweet so um, clearly you're doing something right as far as like social media presence um, and I really love like the live coverage of, of various things and um, I think something that makes Capital Moments quite um, different in, in many ways is that it uses language that is very easy to understand. It kind of like there's jargon used, but is explained in a way in which like I think you know majority of people will be able to understand and digest. Um, so yeah, I just I was just wondering like was that like a, I imagine it's a conscious effort, but like can you talk a little bit more about the importance of that? No, hundred percent. It was a conscious effort, essentially, just to ensure. Our, our readership so the audience we're pushing towards is obviously young people between the ages of say 16 all the way up to 35 so people in sixth form in university those that have graduated working in corporate roles and running businesses and like they're on the move right they're, well we're working from home now but um, essentially it's like you're on your commute you just want to quickly get a, a, an update or read for what's happening and mm-hmm. that kind of short format short form helped us and then when there are those big ticket events as you mentioned like when Brexit happened when Donald Trump first got elected like people want the backstory so they want to be able to read a thread on what's happening what's changing um, what's the end result so taking them through that journey as things piece together that's something we definitely try to push for um, when those events happen and is I mean you mentioned I think there's a team of four of you yeah so so we originally started with a team of four well four or five um so it was me tom josh demi and um another fella and then he started to have additional commitments at the time um saeed so he kind of started to filter away a little bit then we brought on a a couple more guys through the next four or five years Mm. um but now i think we're still approximately at five so it's me tom josh Demi and another fella called Chids, who also goes by Paul. So he he works in kind of commercial real estate, commercial property. So he's been great for us bringing that angle, um, really understanding how that market works and how people can better get into property and a lot of the relationships he has as well. Yeah, I mean, the reason I ask is, um, like you mentioned before, like you all work full-time jobs um, from the sounds of things or, you know, very professional jobs probably in some respects quite time consuming energy consuming etc um how do you kind of balance that um yeah how do you kind of balance those commitments alongside you know personal commitments and and everything no in all honesty it's been difficult i think when we first kicked off we were all within the region of say um i'd say 20 to 22 so mm. we relatively were quite young so even though we're starting our careers you're not kind of managing a team straight off the bat even if you're starting a business, you're not kind of fully fledged with your business. 
So we had more time, but also the passion was was extremely strong, right? When you come fresh out of university, the experience you had is fresh in memory. So you're really trying to transform and change things to those that are coming beneath you. Um, so like we just had that passion and we also had the capacity at the time, even though we were working very busy, busy careers. As we've gotten older, it has it has got more difficult. Um, just because you're getting busier at work and then outside of like outside of that you, your commitments are just getting more heavy loaded right either you're buying a property getting married having maybe children so these things on top of what you're doing and then maybe your life changes you move country or you move cities etc so a lot of those things have challenged our capacity to commit but i think behind that we've still got that ethos of where we do have time and capacity we're still trying to push for that aim to better develop people personally and professionally. I think as our careers flourish even further, although we might not do much directly with Capital Moments, I think it's the more indirect impact. So maybe creating a fund or a charity fund of some sort that actually sponsors or provides a scholarship to young people. So we'll still have a name that helps those that are coming up. Yeah. Um, And yeah, I think it'll be interesting to talk about like what your ambitions are for Capital Moments. Um, in a sec but I wanted to ask as well because like in a climate where there's you know we're heavily bombarded by information like there's information everywhere you know we have you know a lot of discussions around fake news and not knowing what is a reputable source what to really believe um how did you kind of like garner the trust of your listenership where they're like okay these are people that I can trust as far as like the information that they're putting out there and then also with a lot of you know, you have some things that are kind of just objectively true, just kind of giving the facts and putting it out there, right? But a lot of times as well, there's a subjectivity to it um, and opinion that goes behind reporting on certain events, right? So how do you kind of strike the balance of of kind of like um, providing that objective fact-based thing, but then also opinions uh, in a way that is, you know, I guess, you know, doesn't have as much bias or whatever the case is. Do you know what I mean? I think I'll say this one. It's sort of like, I think when you're, when you're trying to tell a story, you're just trying to tell the facts and you let people take on their opinions in terms of like reputable sources. There are like a number of reputable sources, which I would use to amalgamate and put together as, as things. And most of the stuff I I will talk about, we market driven anyway. And it's like, well, the numbers are there in front of your face. So it's kind of like hard to dispute that. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like, I think a big part of commercial awareness, especially when you're starting off, is to tell people, look, here are the facts you make your opinion and you, you go away with it. And I think it's one of the reasons why, I, not that I have a problem with this publication, but I think... I think you get to a point, I got to a certain point when I just wanted to form my own opinion. So one of, one of the biggest publications that I have certain gripes with is The Economist because they just say, this is the opinion of the house or this is the opinion of the paper. But I think when you're starting off, it's wonderful. And I would encourage people who are, especially our younger listeners, if you want to read and see how coherent opinions are formed, then The Economist is great to read. But I think as you kind of get a bit older and you kind of know where to amalgamate information and you kind of need to think for yourself, I tend to want to just get the facts by themselves. Um, and now, given that my job on a day-to-day basis is basically to create ideas and to have opinions of my own, I can't rely on anybody else's conviction. And I've had that opinion for years, given the, the field of work I've been in. My job is to create my own ideas. I can't borrow someone else's conviction. I'll give you an example. I was on the phone 
uh, with someone this week who uh, he was a colleague, but now we've kind of, you know, we both left our previous jobs and now he works on the sales side, I'm on the buy side. And he was pitching me this idea. And I said, bro, I said, you, I said, what's wrong with you? And he sent me an email, personal email and stuff. And I said, like, can you please explain to me why you like this company? He gave me a reason. I said, I'm not convinced. I don't like it. And he's like, I was like, have you looked at this, this, and this? And we kind of went back and forth. But, you know, he was given an opinion. And I was like, bro, these are the facts. This is the, the debt. This is the liquidity position. This is the cash flow. I'm like, what part of this can you make that gives me a good opinion? And he picked something out. And I said, here you go. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, the, the job really of boosting someone's commercial awareness is just to try and give them the, the data. And but I was going to say facts, but obviously facts can be... Um, what's the word subjective um, but just to give the data like this is something that someone has said this is a print that has come out this is something which has happened um, and and with that when you stick to things that are kind of relatively factual you tend not to need to get into opinions as such you know what I mean mm-hmm. um, yeah Alex I don't know if you have anything else to, to add to that but that's that's kind of how I've I've always I've always kind of viewed it in in that light so no, no, I think that was spot on, right? I think the kind of broader point you're mentioning is rely on the underlying data, so numbers never lie, typically, and as well as trying to ingest a broad perspective. So when you're just going down the line of using one reference or one media source, you're then going to dispel um, a particular narrative. But, but from a capital moments perspective, we try to and aggregate and aggregate um, news and media from alternative sources to ensure we're not just spilling out that one view mm. but as and i think that's very kind of important on twitter where as you kind of mentioned kwaku you've got this whole fake news drive and we kind of get into this um a lot of us get into this um issue where we're, we're essentially in this this glass chamber where everyone says the same opinions as us so unless you're ingesting feedback or um perspectives from people outside of your initial circle you're not going to provide a more holistic and directive opinion so that's what we try to do from that perspective to avoid that issue um, and challenge we just try to ensure we're looking at different sources taking in different opinions opinions to just provide the readership with a balanced view and perspective for them to digest yeah agreed i I would i would i'd add to that as well in a broader sense i'd say like for, for people who have to construct arguments which we will do after in some point in time but Quite often I have to construct arguments as to why someone should buy or sell or not or, or do nothing with a security. And I might have a really strong view. Uh, my job is to my job for years has been to just have opinions and to form them and to make ideas with those. But very often what I quite like doing is I like going to someone who I know has maybe a slightly different view or one which is diametrically opposed. And I said, you know what? I have this opinion on this particular company. Uh, I might love it. I might hate it. Give me a reason why I shouldn't. And then, you know, what you often find is there's very rarely been a point where I've said, listen, we're going to agree to, um, we're going to agree to disagree because you're completely wrong and I'm completely wrong. There is something you can learn from the other side. And, and there's something I'll never forget from, uh, there's an economist called Paul Krugman, who people often describe him as like, probably like the second reincarnation of Keynes. You, um, probably one before him, I think. But and and he did a, he did a, a talk at university many years ago talking about the seventy fifth uh, anniversary of the general theory, which is Keynes's kind of magnum opus. And he said the the problem with the left, and this was you know his words. He was like the problem with the left is that the left don't like going to the right to get criticism. 
Whereas you find he finds having worked with different governments of the day that people on the right are always happy to go to the left to receive criticism, but people on the left are not happy to go onto the right and actually receive criticism with their arguments. And I think it's quite important that whenever you construct any type of argument, you kind of need to, not in every situation, because it's not always necessary or there isn't, it's a false economy in doing so, but it is quite important, you know, whenever you can to try and just see what the other side often thinks about an opinion, just Mm -hmm. to see kind of, um, you know, one, whether you're being deluded in your argument, i.e. what are you missing, uh, or two, are you bringing in all these assumptions, or three, where is somebody else coming from? Because, um, and I think that's how you improve your your commercial awareness broadly, is to have, you know, for 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 all intents and purposes, an open mind to, to many things, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's um, useful advice, I think. I, I remember when... Um... So in, in that previous role that I was talking about, whenever we uh, touched on commercial awareness, it was kind of, that's something that we stressed a lot, like just looking at multiple sources and kind of your your view from, from that perspective. Um, I wanted to ask another question, right? Because I feel it's, it's, it's a bit of advice that is thrown around quite, quite regularly and it's around mentorship. So how important do you think mentorship is as far as like getting into, um, you know, these kind of like city, city careers and, and um, yeah, how much, uh, how much weight do you put towards that as, as advice to? No, no, I think, I think mentorship is extremely important, but I think it goes back to that, that news aggregation piece. Like what I found growing up through my career is when people say, yeah, man, you need a mentor, you need a mentor. And you look for this this person who's meant to be this be and all, and they're meant to give you all the advice, all the direction, all the guidance to shape your career, to shape what um, job you you select, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I, I think that's probably the wrong advice to give people. It's more look for mentors, plural. Mm. Look for different people who can give mm. you different perspectives, mm. different views, and different assistance. So don't look just for one person that's going to tell you how to chart your entire career, but look for uh, multiple people who are going to be able to give you advice on different pieces. Like when I was buying my property, I didn't just speak to one person or go to one broker straight away to go, okay, this guy's going to give me everything. I shopped around a little bit. Same way you're, when you're looking for guidance or advice, okay, I want to move firms. I want to move from um, consulting into investment banking. I'm not just going to speak to my one monitor and he's going to be like, yeah, that's a great idea because he maybe works in um, medicine. He's not really going to have a, a clear view on what to do in a finance perspective, but then he might be able to give me great advice on something else. So having like different people to speak to, I think is the way to go. And having those people in your corner is definitely important because you want those people that are more seen to you, that have been through the road, that have charted the path to be able to tell you what to do. And mm-hmm. it's annoying, like as we get older, uh, we look back on some of the experiences we've had and it's like you might have bought a property or had your first child or um, done something in life which is deemed as significant by kind of modern standards and we'll be like yeah that wasn't that bad it wasn't that difficult like I did it at this point in time and I remember I went through the stages but when you're young and before that dawn you're like oh my gosh how am I going to do this how am I going to do that so you need those people above you that are able to calm you down and just give you those explicit instructions mm-hmm. so and yeah it's extremely important yeah, I mean, I completely agree. But then I think as well, you know, when we talk about the the issue of social mobility, you may be an individual from, you know, working class background. Um, 
you know, your parents or your, your kind of extended family all worked in kind of blue collar roles. Um, you don't necessarily have access to, you know, lawyers or investment bankers, etc. So I guess in that respect, like how would you, um, for one, meet mentors and, and actually go about, um, you know, asking for mentorship? Um, and oh. then also be interesting just to hear like what kind of uh, maybe some examples of like how mentors have helped you or helped shape your careers. Do you know what? I was going to say that I, this makes me kind of realize how we often kind of negate how much luck has a, a place to play in our development and our careers. hundred so um, percent. Because, you know, I, I've never really had mentors. Um, a lot of the time people have assumed, oh, Tom doesn't need one, so we're not going to give him one. Um, so I've never had anyone that I would necessarily describe as a mentor as such. But I have had people that have always given me small little nuggets along the way. And I think one of the most, I think, important was a guy who worked at um, UBS. And I met him when I was 14. He came to my school, my secondary school. And he used to do this speech every year. He used to make half the school, half the, well, it was half the year because it'd be a yearly assembly, half the year stand up and half the year sit down. And he's like, well, according to statistics, because he was an economist, he was like, according to statistics, half of you are going to be unemployed and half of you are going to be unemployed. And then that would create outrage. And he said, guess what? That's statistics. You don't have to live your life according to statistics. He's like, and he used to, he broke it down. He's like, listen, yeah, if you want to get out of, of, you know, E15, E16, the best way to do it, unless like you're such a talented baller, because we had some, unless you're a talented baller or musician, whatever, um, is to go to school. Well, that's not for everybody. Or to, to do a vocation, he was like, just make sure you can do something that's positive and can develop you further and further. And he was like, don't negate the luck um, that is into your life. And actually because of him, he kind of got me my, like, I remember just talking to him. And then when I got to university, he was very, he was like, you know, excited for me, blah, 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 blah. And he said, look, do you want to come and work with me for a couple of weeks? And he's like, just see how it is to be here. I felt, you know, and I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? I didn't know what, what I was getting myself into. Um, and that kind of, that created a butterfly effect in terms of me just being able to meet other people, receive different forms of guidance from different people. And that has led me to where I am now. You know what I mean? So it's just mm -hmm. kind of like that kind of moments. And, and, and yeah, so, but in terms of, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I was going to say, I think it's easier now to seek mentors. I don't necessarily know if that's the case, um, but I, I definitely think in terms of being able to access people, I think it's probably a lot easier to do it by means of something like a LinkedIn, for example. So if some, you know, young student, if it's someone that was starting their career, link, reached out to me on LinkedIn, for example, and kind of just explained who they were, I'd be like, yeah, sure, we can have a chat. And I'm not saying I can give them the best career advice, but it's kind of like, you know, that is how you can um, progress. Cause you know, part of social mobility is relying on the social capital of others, be it whether it's directly impacted you or indirectly, I think. And so, yeah, I'd, I'd probably say LinkedIn is probably someone's, I mean, assuming they want to go down the, the kind of corporate route, of course, is probably, um, only even not if they're entrepreneurs, there's loads of entrepreneurs on LinkedIn, you both are, I'm going to talk about that in a minute, but like, I think that's one of the the ways to do it is just to try and take um, initiative and reach out to people. Because uh, look, end of the day, all the businesses we work in and all corporate businesses is just a people business, right? So you can just reach out to somebody and say, hey, look, I'm such and such a person. Um, I have no idea about the industry. Can we meet and can we talk up and 
you know, I'm, I'm happy to have done it a, a, a few times over the years and, you know, often just sit down with a coffee with someone either who's at uni or just leaving and just, I wouldn't say impart wisdom because I don't think I'm capable of doing that, but just to impart something small, small. Um, yeah, I think can, can, you know, I don't know if it goes a long way, but as a butterfly effect, it will do something, you know what I mean? So, yeah. How about yourself, Lex? Uh, do you have any like, uh, like interesting stories or examples of times where, you know, mentors or people have guided you that have impacted your career? Yes and no. So I'm similar to like um, to Tom to some respects in where I don't think I've had like one mentor who's advised me and I haven't had too many senior people above me that have guided my career, but it's more been from a peer perspective. So mm-hmm. I think that's been one great thing through kind of having a couple moments um, kind of journey like us as a collective, a collective of brothers, when you're going for a career decision or you're going for a certain path, you can kind of soundboard it against other people and be like, oh, be it if you're investing in something or you're making a career change, you can speak to other people in similar positions. So I think mm-hmm. my mentoring um, thing has been more of a mentoring circle of, of equal peers as opposed to like people above me guiding me through. Right. Um, and I think that's been really instrumental. I think in the last few years, I have then tried to seek more senior figures who can give me advice on particular issues and nuances. But that's as, I think that's more as the politics have grown. So, like, how do you charter through the politics of an organisation? How do you charter through the politics of life in general? Um, mm. But when I was just making some of the more junior decisions in life, I think my, my circle around me was more important than someone above me. Because, again, when you're still early in your career, I think senior people can be quite far removed. Like, even for ourselves, I think that's why I touched on a bit what a couple of moments you want to do in the long term is because as you start to move through your career and you're away from that, graduate energy of just coming out of university is every actually quite difficult to explain things in, in the same simple manner because you know imagine if like your five six year old niece comes up to you and you're like oh yeah so uncle what do you do day to day you're like raw because <laughs> what I actually say to this young person whereas maybe when you first started your career was like coming off your tongue straight away because you didn't really do anything that complex but as you get older it's like oh wow what I do isn't like easily explained mm-hmm. you know what yeah i want to i want to both um i want to both ask you a, a a question um because you're you're both entrepreneurs um but oh entrepreneurs in a sense that you're both working but you both have uh, uh various side hustles you're both family men um with wonderful spouses so that as I said earlier I've, I've met both of them and they're both I think they're both wonderful women um you know how has um and you've both been married for I think like you've been married for a little bit longer roughly a similar amount of time kind of just it's still fresh for the, the pair of you but how has you know getting into you know marriage and being in that kind of ultimate serious relationship how what is it done in terms of your thoughts on career dynamics has it done anything at all I'm asking this from someone who's a complete spectator because I, I don't know where marriage is on the cards of myself and that's something one of the things I think about all the time is what will if anything will change what has changed now that you kind of you know you're no longer thinking completely on behalf of one person you're, mm. you naturally 
um, are thinking about at least two people in the house, maybe more if you're making provisions for for you know an extra you know extra set of hands and legs. Let's not talk about that just yet. But you know, how has that how has that changed? Because um, people both you know, Quaker, you've mentioned that you're married before. Like everybody's seen your Cartier ring, so everybody knows that you're married. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I'm at liberty to ask this. But yeah, how how has it or not changed the dynamics of how you think about? work or even what's important in life i guess man lex do you want to go ahead or do you want me to uh, yeah i don't i don't, I don't mind it's, a, it's, a, it's a, definitely one close 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 to heart but i think it's, it's good to speak about like i was on another podcast talking about marriage as well so i think one good thing it does from a career perspective it matures you so you definitely come across more mature in your conversations where you see your career going to because i think to your point tom I know we're trying to live in a modern world, but there is an expectation as a man that still comes to you where you're like, okay, if it comes down to it, I'm going to have to be the provider for his family if my wife was to stop working. Mm -hmm. um, so you look, you do look at your career in that perspective of if, if I'm going to be an entrepreneur, I really need to drive and push home the business that I'm working on so I'm successful. If I'm in a, a corporate structure, I really need to push through and move through the ranks. So by this point, or oh, by this age, et cetera, I'm in a position where I can look after my family if it comes to that. So I think that's my mindset where it's been more mature from that perspective, where when you're, say, single, even if you've got a significant other, if you're not necessarily married, you still have that level of freedom to maybe switch your career at last last minute or switch or maybe turn the, turn the pedal off on your career because you know there, there isn't really that same responsibility or accountability to provide. So I think that's something that's definitely changed from my perspective um, it hasn't been like a complete overnight switch but it's something that gradually just happens over time mm. so I think that's that's where I am from a career perspective um, and I think even like outside of that more life generally it does mature you in terms of your conversations with friends um, I think most like when you're speaking to your friends and they're like okay I want to do this in life I want to do this next and you're like oh wow like my next stage of life is probably I might have a little one on the way and I'm probably not going to be able to do this. I'm not going to be able to do this. So maybe, when the boys are maybe talking about a lad's holiday, you're like, boy, it might have to just be one, one lad's holiday <laughs> like <this Yeah>. <laughs> for next year. But they're talking about, yeah, we're going to go here, then here, then you're like, oh, wow. So your life changes from that perspective as well. Man, that's that's like whenever uh, Tom and the rest of the boys are talking about Afro Nation, I'm just like, <laughs> uh, yeah, I hear that, I hear that. But um, do you know, for me, it's, it's interesting because, for one, I've been with my wife. Um, obviously, we've only been married since what uh, March? Uh, was it March? Oh man, this is really bad. Me not remembering. But um, it was long, bro. It feels longer it was, than that. Been, that's the thing, man. That's exactly. Feel, it's been like less than a year. It's been you know, maybe like eight or nine months, but it feels a, a lot longer. But um, I was with her for like four years prior to that, anyway. So we were kind of getting towards that stage where. Um, I mean, in many ways, the dynamic of our relationship didn't change too drastically. But I think like Lex was saying, that maturity, um, it, it comes very quickly because you are more forward thinking, I think, when you get into that position. So as far as like um, career wise or like entrepreneurship, etc., I think it's made me like more hardworking in, in many ways, like just feeling like I have less time, which in some in some respects is, you know, obviously, you know, being more productive and that kind of thing is great, but then um, it can have like somewhat detrimental 
impact on even like the relationship at times as much as, as I guess the time that you can um, you're, you're putting towards uh, the relationship uh, uh, early stage um, and yeah I'm, I kind of have uh, especially with her her family um, a bit of a reputation of being like too hard working which is interesting it's funny like they're like oh what is Koku like never not working um, but, <laughs> so so it's, it's interesting in, in that respect but um, I think is is like Lex was saying again because you're thinking about the next step in life might mm. be a kid you know like within the next kind of two you know two years uh, potentially you could have a, a kid on the way so like it just makes you a lot hungrier and yeah. um as far as like risk because like risk appetite uh, you'd, you'd imagine that i'll make you a little bit more risk averse but for, for me it's kind of been the opposite to be honest yeah. i feel like i'm i'm more willing to just especially now because we're still both single right not single excuse me but we're without without children lovely um so like there's still an element of 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 risk that you you're willing to take um with obviously the hope of payoff in the in the medium term when that you know you, you are kind of thinking about starting um a family or exp- expanding the family so um that's that's the main difference for me but as far as like what you touched on Tom about having to consider um another person and what they want in life and and everything it it just means like there's a lot more conversations that need to be had um Mm. there's kind of Mm. like making sure you're on the same page as far as like what you're what you hope to be what position you hope to be at in the next few years um so for instance my wife wants to spend some time abroad she wants to like live and work abroad for at least you know a year or so or half a year and um that's something that I'm also like quite keen on at, at some point before we do think about having children to just have that experience living somewhere else outside of the UK. Um, so we have to like plan and say, okay, cool. You're working here. There's, um, you know, you have your head office in this country. Um, if I'm, if, you know, if I continue working on this particular project and I can run it virtually, then I can work from home like wherever in the world we are so that can work and just kind of like putting those kind of things together and really being practical in the steps you can take uh, you have to just be a lot more intentional mm-hmm. um which yeah which is which is which is important so i think that's the, the main way that's you know, oh, changed. it sounds it sounds very positive to be honest like you know i just i'm i don't know man i'm i, I just i feel very selfish in my career i'm still at the point where i feel very selfish and i think one of the issues I think I've had over the past couple of years when it came to kind of like romantic love interests or like, you love this thing too much. Like, you know, and I'm just like, well, what would you want me to do about it? Like, what am I supposed to do? Eventually I'm imagining I'm gonna have to compromise at some point, but I don't feel like it's time just yet to be honest, but maybe who knows, but the way the universe works, I do not know. Um, you never know. You never... <laughs> it's interesting I... though, like, sorry, I don't know Tom, if you're gonna ask a question, but I was just gonna make um, an observation, but like with, um, I mean, you know, you like I've known you obviously since uni, and like you proper love what you do. You love finance, you love economics, like etc. Like that's that's really you. Um, I remember at one point I might we might have had a conversation at uni, and you were talking about how you're reading this particular paper and just doing reading outside of what you needed to do. I was I was really bare minimum <laughs> when I was at uni, um, but you talk about like how you love it so much, how you love like I love the game, right? 
I don't. I, think I love quite... this game, you know, <laughs> Uncle Patrice. Uncle Patrice, yeah, yeah, yeah. Patrice and the, and 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 the Pedro fool. I love this game, man. I feel like, I feel like I burn magic. I like burn magic in this thing, man. I need a game. They still gonna love me, man. They still gonna love me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the the point I'm making is that I think you're somewhat in a rare position, like. And maybe just within, you know, people I know and just like in conversations, people tend to kind of harken about, oh, like I'm not really enjoying this at work or talking about this colleague or whatever the case is or the politics and the, the, um, it's quite rare to have someone that's like, I actually really, really love my work and um, I want to invest, you know, my time into this because I actually enjoy doing this and I'm thinking about my progression within that as opposed to just like, I don't know the financial aspect of it, or you know what? I just you know. I, I always found what I did like really rewarding. So I I remember like even though I've left the job now, even the last job I did, I I I loved it, and I spent probably more weekends than I should have, just being there doing modeling, reading around, um, just making myself as a better analyst. And I remember always for some reason always having a laptop with me, work laptop when I was on a holiday, just so I could find inspiration to just write a new piece of research kind of things and actually I remember Lex when you when you got married he had a you know he had a wonderful the wonderful wedding out in um, Marrakesh I remember I got there a little bit um, the festivity started kind of a like it was a weekend mm. I think I got there on like the Wednesday or the Thursday and was kind of like he was he was already there and like the groom train and bridal train were there. I got there a bit early just so I could take in the sights and actually write a really good piece of research because I just needed the different change of climate just to think about how I could write something and I remember doing that and I also remember going to uh, Brazil for a couple of days with Bilal a couple of years ago and I wrote a really again I wrote a really good piece when I was out there and so I always just I always enjoyed what I did and it always came with me Ben it's been always been one of the things where it was kind of like it felt like a, it does you know what I do does feel like an of an extension of who I am if that makes sense and it is it is a bit there is sometimes I think an unhealthy obsession with it, but it's, you know, it's never done me any wrong in, in, in ever having that, to be honest. But, you know, I've never had, I feel blessed to say that I've, I've very rarely had the Monday feeling or the Sunday scaries. I've never had that. Mm. Um, I've always just been like, hey, it's Monday, let's go again. And then you know, there was a long time when it was Monday. Monday would be the day I would get in earliest. I'd get in sometimes, I'd remember I'd wake up about four-ish, I get a train at 4.50 from Stratford to get into Liverpool Street so I could start work at 5 a.m. <laughs> just because I enjoyed the Monday so much and just so I could get ahead of things so much. And, I, I you know, I feel, I do feel like in a blessed position to to be that way, you know what I mean? And, I, you know, I still find myself probably a bit less because, you know, there's probably more things to do out here in Geneva, drive around and stuff. But I still find myself just like reading papers and doing stuff and, you know, doing doing a bit of work excuse me but I don't know it, it, yeah I, and I, I think that it's, it's kept me on the straight and narrow do you know what I mean so mm. um and that's one of the things I've I've loved and it's, it's sort of but you know maybe it's kept me too focused do you know what I mean <laughs> I think so um and maybe it made me a little bit more I guess one-dimensional vis-a-vis you two because because of the fact that you two now have um you know you have a, a you have more than one dimension of responsibilities of course we have ourselves, but you now have your, your partners. You now have to deal with your family and their family as a collective. Mm-hmm. And that kind of, I don't really have to deal with any of that stuff. You know what I mean? Apart from looking after myself and my career. But it is interesting to, to hear that you guys talking about the having a spouse being a, a positive force for Quaker in your mind, risk-taking Lex in your mind, your career 
and the maturity, because the one thing I would say is I have, having heard you speak since being married, you both have kind of exuded more maturity and you're both, you're both, you're both, you're both, you know, substantially mature gentlemen, to be honest, for, for your ages, first of all, and among your peers, secondly. So to hear you become more mature, there's obviously, it's obviously a force for good getting married anyway. So, but that, that's kind of my, 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 um, I guess my observation. So, yeah. No, thank you, man. That's, that's a uh, very kind as far as the, <laughs> the I, I told that very complimentary. Yeah. That's, that's no, but, and also as well, we have to say, you know, um, shout out to, for me, shout out to Hannah, you both have, you actually both have wonderful support systems in the form of your spouses as well, given that I've, you know, I, I know and have occasionally interacted with them both. Um, yeah, I think they're both wonderful women, you know, so I don't think they'll get around to hearing this, but that's, that's besides the point. The point is that actually, I think you both have wonderful support systems actually behind you. So, you know, so, cause I know both of you at different times can be difficult in various ways. And so you naturally have wonderful <laughs> women who are able to, you know, to deal with that. So, you know, and it's, I think it's a testament, if anything, more to them than it is to, to yourselves, not to insult you. But you know what I mean? It's, no, no, no. But you see where I'm coming uh, from. You know, I hear you, I hear you. You know, um, obviously you, you have a small part to play the pair of you, you do. But um, the, the one thing I, the one thing I, I do want to ask kind of one more thing um, is, I guess back to kind of the commercial awareness point, why do you think there is a problem um, with um, commercial awareness, particularly um, for, for kind of like younger um, black students um, versus like their kind of like middle-class white counterparts? I found anyway, I mean, I look at, I, I'll caveat that and say, I don't have any kind of, um, uh, hard facts and data, but I'm just saying anecdotally and the things I've seen over the years, that's one of the things I've come across. Mm. Um, and, and why do you think, um, Kweku Lex, why do you think this is kind of the case and, and what what kind of tips and advice would you give uh, for them to kind of improve their uh, commercial awareness, skills, abilities, et cetera, as it were? No, no, great, great question. I think when you look at the, the problem or challenge, I think it's more socioeconomic as opposed to um, racially incentivized. It's just the fact that in the UK, um, from a socioeconomic perspective or class perspective, there's a lot more black people at, say, a lower scale than there would be for, for white people. So if you compare middle class to, say, um, working class, you're always going to find middle class people are more commercially aware. And again, that's just more to experience and perspectives you could kind of deem us in the careers we follow to be somewhat middle class now. It's always difficult being a black person in the UK because although from a career perspective, salary perspective, you may be of a certain class, just due to where you're from and where you've grown up, you may still see yourself as a, a working class individual despite your kind of job entailing something completely different. Um, but again, back to the question, I think the reason it's so different is just, again, the people you talk to, the experiences you have, um, from a middle-class background, you may particularly frequent, say, a theatre or other social activities that essentially help you build a more holistic view of the world. You may travel a lot more, again, which is going to build your perspective to a greater degree. Um, and then the ways in you can improve it if you are from a lower socio-economic background is, is more so just putting yourselves in situations, scenarios that make, make you uncomfortable, unfortunately, um, but where you can learn. So if you're speaking to people, and again, it's seeking those mentors, again, it's tough to do if you don't know any lawyers, you don't know any doctors, but there are so many schemes available 
that you can tap into to assist yourself. And again, the power of social media, don't necessarily ha- you can't necessarily talk to everyone, but you have more access to people to talk to. So leveraging social media, as you mentioned, kind of LinkedIn, platforms that are starting to build like Clubhouse, Twitter, Instagram, as much as they're used for other activities, you can also still use them to network and build relationships with people. And that helps you build your commercial awareness because a lot of the commercial awareness you develop is just virtue of the fact that the virtue of the people you connect to most and you speak to most. And Mm -hmm. if you've got people within your circle talking about those topics, it's just going to raise you up to that understanding of the world around you. Very true. And I think this is probably more of an extension than a a separate point. But um, even just like within the household, like I think if you're from kind of like a working class background or low socioeconomic background, you're not necessarily going to be having conversations over over breakfast or over dinner with your dad who, you know, happens to be an accountant or happens to be a banker. Like, you know, I think if you have that, you know, those kinds of people within your immediate environment, it's just a lot easier for you to just even, you know, by osmosis as opposed to actually going out of your way to um, really study these things. Um, it just kind of becomes you know kind of ingrained in you just through your socialization and you know as as Lex was saying if you are kind of from that background and um, don't have that that advantage that's when you have to kind of go out of your way and be more proactive in trying to um, you know first access the information and have conversations with people and um, I think it's through the conversations that you begin to um, learn more because you're you're forming your opinions you're hearing opinions of others you can kind of like debate, you can, um, you know, essentially get like a whole, a more holistic picture of, of um, you know, the kind of around commercial awareness. And that's that's obviously of, of huge benefit because another thing when it comes to speaking in an interview, you have more confidence about it because you've been practicing it in a, in a, a more informal way. So when it comes to doing it in a, a way that is going to be assessed it just comes a bit more naturally to you um so yeah i'll definitely recommend um i'll definitely recommend that um i had a question so actually just um i mean probably the last question i have and it's i mean when i when i talk to young young people right and obviously, I class myself as younger, so but I'm, I mean, younger people. Bro, we're um, getting to uncle stages. You know this, yeah? You already know. Well, you two are married. You're almost uncles now. You're uncles, bro. Like, come on, man. <laughs> I hate that. I own that. But at the same time, when I talk to 40 year olds, they, they t- chat to me like I'm a kid in it. So, but it's true. It's all it's perspective. All it's exactly. all perspective. Um, but I, I think our generation just t- seems to be a lot more entrepreneurial, a lot more. Um, we have that ambition to, you know, be entrepreneurs essentially be own businesses and you know whether that's you know you can you can say that's a, a positive thing or you know uh, at the same time it might it might just be more of the clout and the image of it of being entrepreneurs as opposed to like the realities of it but at the same time I think that's quite a fair assessment to say is that our generation people tend to want to have either side hustles or um, be business owners and with that you know I get asked quite a lot like should I work in the corporate world for a bit, you know, maybe five years, earn my money, then start my business? Oh, like when do I know it's a good time to jump ship? Um, and things along those lines, should I should I kind of start building it whilst I'm working? Um, and I mean, obviously it's not a one size fits all, 
but um what are you you guys view as far as you know how you kind of balance the the desire to be entrepreneur alongside you know having a career um some people even i was on a panel recently and someone asked like should i just kind of not get a career and just kind of go all in on this business from the jump or how do i yeah, do you know what I mean? Kind of get that balance. So yeah, it'll be interesting to hear what you you guys thoughts are on that. No, no. Start off. Yeah, you go yeah, ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say no, no. It's a great question because uh, when when people think about corporate careers, right? It's like you're putting you're all in, and if you want to go all the way to the top, say MD partner, whatever it is within your respective company, that could take anywhere between say 10, 15 to twenty years, and you earn a, a certain amount of money. Then on the opposite side, it's like okay, if you were to dedicate that same level of graft effort energy to your business do you not think you'd be able to attain a similar level of income revenue profitability etc whatever it might be so i get the angle where people are like you know what why am i going to the corporate angle if i can just earn the same amount of money over the same period of time um so is it kind of difficult conundrum the other point is okay maybe people want to do that initial period in corporate because it's like okay i want to build professionalism to build my own company mm-hmm. because there's certain ways they there's a Working in the corporate world, you develop skills in customer service, client service, um, understanding how to operate, say, a small team, so team management, leadership, et cetera. So people might want to work corporate first and then trans- transfer into kind of running your own company. I think from my perspective, it's like, look, as, as we're getting older, and I know our generation, we probably have like this Peter Pan syndrome where um we see ourselves still as young but when we look at our parents generation what they were doing at our age they had like maybe uh they'd moved from one country to another country to set up a new life they were on maybe their first or second child it's like yo compared to their generation we're still we're still quite juvenile in that sense but Mm. we're very old Mm, um but like yeah i think when you know you're gonna have a long career unless we all hit the belly we become say multi-millionaires by in the next couple of years, we're probably going to work until our 40s at a very, very minimum, right? So then when you look at it from that perspective, what do you want to enjoy from, say, first graduating at 21 or maybe you don't go to university at 18? What do you actually see yourselves doing That's gonna that you're going to be passionate about that you're going to enjoy for 20 to 30 years? And that's how I think you should make the decision. And again, it's difficult to do that at such a young age, um, but that should help direct where your passion takes you. Because like someone like Tom who says he loves his job, says the most exciting for him is the Monday morning, then yeah, maybe a corporate job where he's doing essentially what he loves, looking at companies, researching about them is the greatest thing for him because if he started in an entrepreneurial role, even if it was doing what he's doing now, building the network of clients to sell his research to, to um, buy their interest would obviously take time and maybe that's what you're, you're negating by joining a company. But if you're an entrepreneur and you're like, look, I want to be able to be an owner or something, do something differently, then you might want to go into being an entrepreneur straight off the bat. And again, to your point, the generation we're living in with social media, the access to, to funding, the access to marketing, et cetera, it's just literally at our fingertips. Mm. Like literally with your iPhone, it's at your fingertips. So um, it is a lot easier to be an entrepreneur in today's society. Mm. Yeah, definitely, man. I, I think it's based on conviction, really. And I think that that is quite hard to to ascertain when you're when you're really young like you have you have to have conviction in a product if you think and 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 you have to have a genuine sit down with yourself and understand if you have a product or a service that can actually make money because you know i 
you know, every because because I, I look into numbers and do number crushing modeling, I get people come and ask me, oh, can I, can I share you my business idea and run my financials with you? And you know, it's often 50, I get, I get people in two camps. And most people tend to be in the first and the latter. And the first is they got a great product, but they just don't know what the company is going to do. It's like, well, you haven't actually done any research. I'm like, what, what are the comps? Like, what's the valuation here? They don't know. And I'm like, if you want to get funding or you want to do this yourself and I you generate your own cash flows, you need to have that understanding. I'm like, I'm like, you are actually being a CEO. You're being a chief executive officer and looking out. But I'm like, at some point you have to look in and do that kind of stuff. And I think people often negate the fact that there is a lot of hard graft and there are so many losses before there are wins with entrepreneurship. And especially if you're doing your own thing, particularly if it's from scratch. So I think it's down to your own conviction. Um, the hybrid model of doing a little bit of work um, and then going into the field is good, especially if you kind of come from private sector background, because it's like, I've had moments where, for example, and I know a lot of other people have probably had this before, is I remember doing a piece of work on, on, a, on a French company once, and they hadn't issued a bond in ages. And so I was writing something. I wasn't published. I didn't publish until, I had to publish because they were going to issue a bond, whether I liked it or not. I published at 5 a.m. in the morning. I got home got back into the office for 7.30. You know, it felt less than great, but still okay. And then we just went again and did the day again and spoke to clients and that, that kind of stuff. That kind of discipline, generally speaking, you you wouldn't necessarily um, have, but if you can instill that discipline and put it forwards, then again, there's a benefit of doing that too. So, but it's really up to you and, and, and uh, up to anyone and up to their convictions. But again, there's nothing wrong doing a hybrid model where, you know, you're in a job that you enjoy. You can have a, a side hustle, passion project, um, which other people tend to refer to it as, or, or, you know, even you find that there are people who do, you know, they're, they're in entrepreneurship for a long time and then they're in the corporate space for a long time and then they move on. So an example is a guy called uh, Robert F. Smith, who um, he's an African-American guy who runs a private equity group called Vista Equity Partners. And he started it just before he turned 40, I think. But he was at Goldman for a long time working in the West Coast with tech companies. And then with that, he kind of moved on and went on to do his own thing. And now his net worth is probably somewhere about five to 10 billion. I think he was a year where he just paid paid off all the fees of everyone. Uh, was it Morehouse, I think? I think it was more either Morehouse or Spellman. I can't remember which one it was, but one of the HCBUs in, in, in America. Mm-hmm. But the the you know, I think the point being is you just have to kind of work out your own conviction and, and actually understand it and sometimes take a realistic approach at what the money could... Um, could look like but that's that's me and to be honest life over time and my job has naturally made me a cynic with these things but I guess it's a different discussion for a different day and I, I think it I think we you know at this point I'm just co- cognizant of time so I think I just want to want to wrap it up now so I want to say you know Lex uh, thank you so much for for coming on and, and imparting us with your your wisdom um and Kweku as well actually thank you for the same thing even though you're you're a regular on, on this but um where can we find you uh, Lex, uh, where can we find Capital Moments? Um, if anybody wants to reach out to you, how do they do it? Please tell us. Please plug uh, plug yourself, plug your product. No, of course not. Great stuff. So, yeah, Capital Moments, um, at Capital Moments, all is one word, on Twitter, Instagram, um, LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube. Hit us up. I, I, I think priority should be Twitter, and then you'll be able to find our kind of other pages from there. We are working on a website relaunch very shortly, so look out for that. That should be coming out. And then me, Lex Doin Salau, you can look for me on um, LinkedIn, Lex Doin Salau, or Lekon Doin Salau, so L-E-K-A-N, and then my surname. 
and then on socials, um, Lex LDN, so L E K Z L D N on Twitter, Instagram, um, and more recently Clubhouse. So a lot of powerful discussions just like this, but in real time. <laughs> um, so yeah, look out for that for sure. All right. Um, well, guys, you know where to to find us on on OTB. If you don't on the socials, it's OTB uh, at OTB Podcast UK. Um, you can email us as well. We love to receive your emails, um, so please send them in if you have any thoughts, comments, agreements, disagreements. Please, uh, OTB Podcast UK at gmail uh, That's it for another episode, and uh, yeah, just wishing you you know stay uh, safe, stay healthy, um, you know enjoy the festive period as well, um, and over and out.